0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. So, uh, I've, I've enjoyed uh, uh, being with you all and singing and praying together, and I just wonder if we could just maybe... Uh, pause for a moment before we uh, get into scripture today, and just ask the Lord to be our our teacher and our guide. Would you pray with me, Lord in heaven? I thank you for your people. I thank you that we can that we're a part of a of a family, that we don't have to walk alone. We don't go it alone. I'm so grateful for Lord for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and and for all that it means to be a part of of, of, a, of a, a people of God. A family of God, and uh, uh, Lord, we've mentioned people with uh, health concerns, and Lord, um, it seems that there's a lot of, of uh, sickness and, and things going on in in Parsburg, and we Lord, we know that there's a number of people here in in this uh, right here in this church family as well that are going through difficult times, uh, and uh, um, we know that you are the God who heals. We know that you have the power to heal, and we pray that you would. Uh, especially be with those today who are hurting, and that you would lift them up and that you would raise them up. I, I think of uh, Glenn uh, this morning, and I pray, Father, that you would just touch his body and uh, encourage his heart, and uh, and for Fred, uh, Lord, uh, just uh, that you would be gracious and, and merciful to to them today, and and. Uh, and Lord, I know that there are many others, and I know that there are many unspoken requests here today, that there are um, hurts and that there are needs that uh, are on the hearts of uh, people as we gather in the name of Jesus, and we just bring those things to you today. Uh, Lord, we're thankful that you hear uh, our prayers and that you uh, know the the thoughts of our hearts and the um, the concerns that we have. and and the things that we would like to see um, done for your glory and we pray that you would be working and moving in these days and not just uh, thinking of physical health lord but uh, there are so many areas of our lives where we n- need you we need you in all all of our of our lives lord in our relationships in our finances in our our, uh, in, our in our in our health at work in our jobs in our families, Lord, uh, we just we just pray that you would be meeting needs for your glory. Help us, Lord, to seek your will in our lives with all of our hearts. And today as we uh, dig into uh, your word once again together, we pray that you would give us understanding, give us clarity of thought, and that you would bless uh, and use your word today. That you would use your word uh, by your spirit to accomplish your will and your work in our lives this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are doing a three-year journey through the Bible. And last week, uh, we finished up um, a three-week sub-series on wisdom in the wilderness. And this week, we are beginning a three-week sub-series, mini-series on worship in the wilderness. Uh, last week we considered uh, what I refer to as a high watermark of the Old Testament, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And that whole section resonates with the authority of God, uh, a God who reserves the right not only to say what should be, but thereby declaring what is, what is true, and what is right, and what is good, what is the reality uh, of our, our lives. And um, we also noted that the, that preceding the giving of the law, God called Israel into relationship with him. We, I love those words in Exodus 19, verse 4, where it says that God bore them on eagles' wings and brought them um, to himself. And so that relationship is established, and then uh, following that, the establishing of that relationship where God... Uh, bought them and brought them to himself. we have the giving of the law at Sinai because it was God's intention that they would be a special people that they would be unique that they would not be like the other nations but that they were their lives and their corporate their lives together would be defined and shaped by their relationship with God and his directives for their lives. And we have that in common with them. Because it's God's will that you and I be a distinct people, a unique people, and that our lives be shaped and defined by our relationship with God and by his directives for our lives. That we're not to be just like the culture around us, but that we are to be uh, a holy people. And uh, uh, we've been learning as well that the law is a reflection of the nature and character of God. And um, that it functioned as instructions for the people to help them see and understand how they were to live their lives for Him. So our living flows out of our worship. That worshiping God alone, above all else, changes the way we live. When we worship the God, worship God the way He intends for us to worship Him. Um, we live our lives in a way that's consistent with his nature and with his character. Um, and uh, last week we kind of, I think we kind of finished up on the note that, that, um, that uh, the commandments are real, and so is the guilt that results from them, uh, but that an even greater reality than that guilt is the reality of Jesus Christ, who is uh, God's gift to us, His grace and His love, His forgiveness, which is greater. Romans chapter five, greater than all our sin. Now there are many misunderstandings, and I don't want to. I don't want to. We we don't have time to camp or to park on the the, the law and the giving of the law. To try to understand all that there is to un- be understood about it, um, unfortunately, I, I hope and I pray that you you know you're reading and you're studying yourselves because that's that's critical. It's essential. Um, but I, I, I'll mention a couple things. One of the greatest misunderstandings about the law is uh, that that the people of the Old Testament were saved by the law, and now that we're in the New Testament, we're saved by grace. That's actually not true. Uh, no one has ever been saved by the law no one has ever been saved by keeping the law whether old testament or new testament uh it's never happened and and it wasn't god's intention the basis of our relationship with god whether living this side of the cross of jesus or the other side of the cross of jesus in the old testament day the basis for our relationship with god is always grace uh, no one can be saved by the law, no one was ever saved by the law. Another thing that, that we're, we're probably familiar with that you're probably familiar with, um, is that in, in, as we come into the New Testament and it, it really it starts before the New Testament, but it certainly crystallizes in the words of Jesus, as he summarized, succinctly summarized the law as love. love of God and uh, first and love of uh, others as we love ourselves. Uh, not only did Jesus make those statements over and over again, but Paul picks up on them as well and, and says the same thing in Romans chapter 13. And there are other passages as well in the New Testament that make it clear that love is the fulfillment of the law. Um, all of the commandments hang on these two, Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You're probably familiar with those passages. and uh, But, but I, I just would you know, reflect back on what we just said a moment about, ago about grace and say that we're not saved by love. If love is the fulfillment of the law and we're not saved by the law, then we're not saved by love either. And even though we sometimes give lip service to the, the fact that we know, understand that we're saved by grace, sometimes we uh, we get confused And because uh, I think sometimes we think we're saved uh, by uh, loving God. And we're not. Uh, lo- loving God is the greatest commandment. Um, it's part of the law. It's the s- summary of the law. It's the distillation of, of all the law. Um, but we're not saved by loving God. We're not saved by loving one another. We, there's no way we could be because we could never love God enough. Or ne- we could never love him well enough. I think one of the ways that we, um, one of the ways that we conclude that the Old Testament is not really all that relevant to our lives uh, as New Testament Christians uh, is by thinking that somehow it's too hard for us to relate to people in the Old Testament because their salvation experience was so different than ours, and yet. Um, Their salvation experience was very much the same as ours, at least in the sense that they were saved by grace, the same as you and I. And though they did not have the same privilege of experiencing the presence and power of the Holy Spirit the way that you and I can and do, it's not like they were without God's presence and power in their lives either, right? As we've been reading along, you know, you think about the Passover, how God demonstrated and displayed his power in the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea and the supernatural physical manifestation of his presence in the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And then it, last week as we, we, we observed that Sinai, it says, and God came down. It says he came down. And next week, Jerry Weatherby's going to be leading us uh, through... Uh, uh, some of the material uh, on the tabernacle and the furnishings and the, the construction and the priesthood and the, and the sacrifices of the tabernacle, which is all about the presence of God. It's all about God dwelling amongst his people. And uh, so what we, I think one of the things we need to understand is, is that, uh, that uh, these people were just like us. Or maybe it would be more proper to say that, they, uh, that we are just like them. Because when we think that they were just so different than us, we lose the opportunity to receive from these passages what God wants to teach us because we conclude they don't really apply to us. Now the application is a little different. You can't just d- read the Old Testament and directly apply it to your Christian life. There, there is, there is a a, a, a uh, the mediation of Christ uh, in the life of the New Testament believer. It, there is a difference, and and we probably need to talk about that some, but but probably not right now. Uh, another thing that I'll mention is that. God doesn't change. And that's probably the, mo, you know, the most important point. Is God doesn't change. God does not change. In fact, God says, He says this in, uh, I, think it's, I think it's in Malachi. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. It's part of being God being God. Is we, I think they call it, uh, they refer to God being immutable. That means it, he, he can't change. It's just like the Bible says God can't lie. If God changed, then He wouldn't be God. It's part of being God, He's perfect. At all. Why would, why would uh, God, who is perfect, change? Right? And so God doesn't change. He hasn't changed. Uh, you might be familiar with that passage in Hebrews where it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So uh, oh, the words of Jesus before Abraham was, I am. The unchanging God. And what about the failures of the people? in the Old Testament. Do we share in those as well? (laughs) I think so. Have you ever wondered why the record of salvation history appears to be dominated by a litany of failures? It sweeps up even the most revered of biblical characters, men like David, into the disappointments of our lives as we come up short. Uh, Why would God rehearse those things over and over again? Why would God want to drag us through uh, generation after generation of disillusionment, like 1,500 years of disillusionment? Is there something that God is trying to tell us? Or is the Old Testament just kind of irrelevant? Because now we're in the New Testament. We don't have to worry about any of that anymore. I right? think God is trying to tell us something. And I think uh, we really need to listen and, and learn. And, and as difficult as it sometimes can be, because it, it is difficult. Reading some of these passages is difficult. I would far sooner read about all of the victories and read about failure. And I have to tell you that as we go forward through the New, the Old Testament we're going to read about more failures than we are successes. Why? Why would God do that? I don't have all the answers to that question. I uh, that's for sure. Um but I, I think it it in part may have to do with the fact that God wants us to put our confidence in Him, not in ourselves. What about the passage that we're going to be in together today? Well, I think God wants to say something to us here too in this passage, Exodus chapter thirty-two. As I mentioned, starting today and then following next week and the Sunday after that, we're going to be talking about uh, worship in the wilderness. And today we're in Exodus chapter 32, which is uh, the story of the golden calf, and we're not off to a very good start. God has just given them the law, and here we are. He's in the process of giving them the law. They've already signed off on it. They've already, uh, Moses has already given them uh, uh, enough of the instruction of, from the Lord that the people uh, have been brought into covenant with God uh, to keep the law. And so we've gone from a high water mark last week to this week, which is kind of a, a low water mark. Now, um, I would say that the sheer magnitude of the authority and the importance of the law scandalizes uh, us, our minds, uh, our prideful minds. Um, And I have to tell you that this passage today represents a massive speed bump on the uh, theological uh, roadway of Scripture. Um, I was forced to dig deep again this week. I, uh, the week before, as we were getting ready, I told a few people I, I worked so hard because the law is such a big subject. The giving of the law is—it's it's, just—it's so so dominates the uh, the narrative of of the Scripture all the way through. Uh, to, the t- to the coming of Christ. And then even in the days of Jesus, you know, we have Jesus saying things like this. He said, don't think that I've come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to what? Fulfill the law. And so the the law continues to play such a, 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 an important part in our understanding or should in our understanding of uh, life and, and, and God and what it means to have a relationship with God and what it means to live in this world. And uh, the, you know, there, again, when we talk about confusion, sometimes we've, we've created the sense in our, in our churches that, that the law is irrelevant to the Christian. And the law is not irrelevant to the Christian. God uses the law in the life of a Christian. We're not under the law. We're not in the bondage of the law. We, praise God, we're not under the condemnation of the law. But, but that doesn't mean the law has no, no purpose. You know, James, I think James refers to the law like, like a mirror. You know, you hold up the, the mirror and you look in the mirror and you see, oh oh <laughs> You know, we've got some things we have to work on here. We've got some problems. We've got some issues. And, and if it wasn't for the perf- perfect law of God, which is based on the character of God, then we wouldn't see our sin the way we need to see our sin. And we wouldn't do anything about it the way we really need to do something about it. And, and so those things, those things are, imp- are important. Um, I, I worked. I worked really hard on on, on that message, and then I thought I'd be really glad we could move on next week, get get kind of get beyond this, and maybe it'll just be a little bit lighter going. And then, and of course, that's not the reality at all, because when you get to chapter 32, it it gets pretty hard, doesn't it? Some of you are reading. I hope you're reading these passages, because um, I've said it so many times, and I'll say it again right now. If you're depending on Sunday morning sermon to get you through these these scriptures and and get you what you need to understand and to know from the Word of God to understand through through this, uh, it's not gonna it's not gonna cut it. You're gonna have to do you're gonna have to do some work. You're gonna have to do personal study of the Bible. I I believe in preaching. <laughs> I really do. If I didn't, I wouldn't work hard at it. I wouldn't be so committed to it. I am, but but preaching is not enough. For Christians, for us, who want to serve God and walk with the Lord and know God. We need to be personally in the word of God. And that includes these Old Testament passages. Um, so... Last week we talked about the Ten Commandments, which are uh, contained in Exodus chapter 20, uh, the first 17 uh, verses. And we uh, read that passage last week and we pondered it some. Uh, The latter part, and you come, if you open your Bible up to Exodus chapter 20, or turn your tablet on or whatever, you'll see there, and we'll be projecting some of the scripture this morning and and some we want. But uh, Exodus chapter 20 Uh, goes on to um, reiterate uh, some of those commandments. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 and 23 says this. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I talk with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make yourselves gods of gold. That reiteration of the second commandment Against uh, graven idols graven images or idols uh, that reiteration is Im- is important as we go into uh, into the text for today um, chapter twenty verse twenty four through twenty six um, you have uh, uh, talk about uh, the building of altars interesting there that, that God says whole stones only don't cut the stones if you cut the stones you profane them you profane the altar um, We're obviously not going to get into that today. Uh, The only thing I'll just mention to you, just to maybe just give you a little bit of a teaser on that, that there is in this understanding of what holiness is, there's a common uh, understanding of holiness as separation from, but there is also, if you dig in the the Old Testament, you see there's also an understanding of holiness as wholeness. It's not just being separated from evil or uncleanness. It, it also has the idea of being separated to God, which is there's a se- in that a sense of wholeness. And uh, uh, it's interesting to trace that theme through the Old Testament as well. The last part of verse 26 talks about mo- uh, uh, you know modesty. Um, there's something you can think a little bit about clothing. Is it right to wear clothing or not? Where do those laws come from? Just think about that, okay? All right. Exodus 21, 1 to 11 are laws about uh, slaves. We will not get into that, Uh, but I hope you will read it. Exodus 21, 12 to 36, laws of personal liability. That's important. You, did I mention this last week that 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 our law, as the laws of Canada, are based predominantly on biblical law? Did I mention that? Anyways, we'll keep going. Property rights. Exodus twenty-two, one to fifteen cover property rights. That's important. Um, see on the news this week where the clerk in this in the convenience store. Uh, somewhere in ontario this guy came in with a mask did you you guys see that They're, they they were i don't know, i don't know if they were chinese or or uh, what they were a couple you know they were canadian but anyways and this all caught on video, surveillance video. This guy comes in with a mask and he comes up to the counter and he, he demands their money and she looks and, uh, down and the only thing she sees there's a clump of bananas. This really happened. You can watch it on the news. And she reaches down, she grabs a clump of bananas and she starts beating this guy with this clump of bananas and he runs out of the store. Like, it's hilarious, right? <laughs> yeah. But I, it got me, uh, when I was watching it, I was thinking about, you know, the property rights. Yeah, you can't just come into my store and take my... Money or my bananas. I mean, you can't do that. Why? Because it's wrong, right? Uh, Exodus 22, uh, verses 16 to 31, uh, covers some uh, social responsibilities. Exodus 23, verses 1 through 9, are laws about justice and mercy. Exodus 23, 10 to 19, covers uh, the Sabbath laws and uh, festivals, special days. And uh, in the Jewish calendar, uh, which were all part of their worship of the one true God. And then uh, Exodus 23, uh, verses 20 through 33, uh, finish up uh, chapter 23, and it's about the angel of the Lord going before the people as they were to go into the land, the promised land, and how they were to eradicate the... uh, the, the uh, peoples of the land with their false worship systems. And then verse 33, it, it ends uh, chapter 23 there. Verse 33 says, They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Which again is another reiteration of, uh, against idolatry, right? So then uh, chapter 24, uh, verse 3. If, if we could put that one up, Don. Chapter 24, verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the, the Lord, uh, words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice. That's important. And said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. The, the word all there comes up several times. Did you notice that? Yeah. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Um, chapter 24 and verse 4 says that Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord and that's repeated in verse 7 Um, sometimes people (laughs) think that Moses wrote on the tablets of stone but Moses never wrote on the tablets of stone right God wrote on the tablets of stone Uh, Moses wrote on probably on parchment of some kind or some type, uh, but God engraved the commandments. You can see that in chapter 32, verses 15 to 17. Uh, it says, with his, with a, with his finger, uh, Exodus 31, uh, 18, which would be uh, an anthropomorphism for those of you who are with, with us in our book study on Saturday morning. Anyways, uh, the people's response is repeated in verse seven, where it says Moses took the, the book of the covenant. Note to these words: Moses took the book of the covenant and he read it to all the people, and the Lord and the people said, "Verse this is twenty four seven. All the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient." Chapter 24, verses 9 to 11, Moses, and Aaron, Adab, and Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay a hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. I don't comment on that a whole lot, but it is an amazing statement, isn't it? Exodus 24, verses 12 through 14. So the Lord says to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. I don't know how many trips Moses made up this mountain, up and down, over the course of the next few months, Uh, but it must have been a number of trips. And remember, this man is 80 years old, okay? And uh, this particular time, it says that he was gone for 40 days and nights. Um, He was up there an entire week before God said anything. Uh, You can see that in verse 16. And uh, so, so Moses is up there and he's waiting on God and God is uh, going to give him the tablets and he's going to talk to him about all, all the laws. Because not, not all of the laws written in tablets, right? Here's we can tell is probably the Decalogue or the Ten Commandments that would have been written on the, on the, on the actual tablets. Um, otherwise Moses wouldn't have be been able to carry them for one thing. Anyways, uh, so, what, what, so what follows this past the text then? Okay, we're working through the text in Exodus chapter 24. What follows Exodus 24 is a, a partial set. It's actually seven chapters of instructions from God to Moses for the meticulous design of the tabernacle and the furnishings and the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants. And as I said, Jerry's going to talk with us about that next week. Um, but after seven chapters, this is interrupted. There's an interruption. Later in the book of Exodus, it will go back and talk more about the rest of the details of the tabernacle and the priesthood and the sacrifices and the, uh, the implements and so on. But, but after seven chapters, there's this, um, there's this interruption. And uh, remember, the last Verse in chapter 24 says that Moses had been gone for 40 days and nights. Um, That's a long time to wait. And the people are tired of waiting. And they are now convinced that something has happened to Moses. They don't know what it is. Uh, A lot of things can happen to people who climb mountains. I mean, he's gone, and he's not coming back. Are we just going to sit around and look at each other, or what? And so, and, and part of this seems, if you read through, and we're going to look at verse 1, chapter 32, verse 1, if you want to turn there. Part of this seems like they, they're kind of wondering whether Moses maybe just opted out. Maybe he found a better gig. Happens, eh? Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of times when it was was pretty rough going between Moses and the people, right? And we tend to have a conflicted relationship with our leaders, don't we? Chapter 32, verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Commentators say that there's a certain note of threat in the choice of the verb, which is used to describe the people's approach to Aaron. It has the idea that they uh, gathered against Aaron. And there's a lot of them. And Aaron is one guy, okay? And he caves Big time. Um, what they ask for here is, is uh, the, the, the word is translated um, gods is Elohim, which is the generic or general word for God or gods that's used in Hebrew scripture. Sometimes it's, there's a definite article put in front of it, the God, which then is a reference to the one true God. But is also used to describe other Other gods. Some some commentators suggest here that what the people wanted was an image of Yahweh. They didn't want an invisible god. They wanted a visible god. We want an image of Yahweh. Uh, I don't know if the text does. The text doesn't seem to read that way to me. uh, But you can read it for yourself and decide for yourself. but whichever view you take, whether they wanted a, a, a an image of Yahweh or whether they wanted a image wanted other gods beside Yahweh's, either way, it, uh, it's a, a transgression of the uh, of the commandments that they had just agreed all together to follow and obey. And uh, it's either uh, uh, kind of a a, syn- a religious syncretism where the people say we can have God and have all these other gods, or, uh, you know, we can worship the one true God, but we can worship him any way we want, and either way, both of those things are very wrong, and very much, as I say, uh, a rejection of the, of the commandments. Um, you know, we uh, look at these people oftentimes, as I said earlier, as being very, very different from us, and they uh we like to think that we're so sophisticated and and stuff and uh that these people were very naive uh to worship other gods but i would uh i would uh suggest to you that that pride blinds the idolatry of our own hearts uh we uh we struggle um maybe not in the exact same way, but not as different as we think. Um, chapter 32, verses two, 2 to 6. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears, the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they and they said, these are your gods O Israel who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord or feast to Yahweh. And so there's the syncretism. There's the, the kind of combining, you know, we'll, 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 we'll have the best of both worlds. We'll have God and we'll have all these other gods as well and, and uh, all these other ways uh, uh, and uh, of course it's not. doesn't work that way. So they rose up, it says in verse 6, they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And as I said, these uh, this would have broken at least the first three of the Ten Commandments. And Moses had no idea this was going on. No idea. Poor, poor guy, you know, he's up there, 80 years old, up and down this mountain. He doesn't know what's going on. But God does, right? And so, chapter 32, in verse 7, says Moses, uh, Yahweh spoke to Moses. Go, get down. Your people who brought who you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I don't know. Do you feel for him? I I feel for him. It's like, you know, can you just picture Moses going, My people? I thought these were your people. (laughs) What What do you mean that I brought up out of Egypt? Hold it a minute. I thought you delivered the people out of Egypt. And I don't know exactly what all kind of point God is trying to make here, but I just you got to feel for him. I, I think we do. And uh, God says, uh, God goes on in, in verse 9 and 10, The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. I feel like that this morning, actually. Uh, it's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them. And I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And last week uh, I I quoted a a couple. I actually put a couple of verses on the screen from Genesis chapter 6. Um. And I, I actually brought, uh, I'm going to get Don to put them up again. Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man that was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth, man, uh, face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. It's a similar kind of thing, isn't it? God's like, okay, uh, get Moses, just just step aside for a minute. I'm just gonna take. I'm taking them all out. I'll start over again with you, just like I started over again with Noah, you know. And and then we have this this uh, uh, picture of Moses interceding for the people. And uh, it says in verse 11 to 14, Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, "Lord, why?" Does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all the land that have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This is a, an incredible um, uh, picture of intercession where Moses intercedes for the people. And uh, oftentimes in the Old Testament, biblical characters will become t- uh, types of Christ. They will they will uh, imperfectly represent uh, the, 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 the ministry of Jesus uh, and this is one of those cases where Moses makes intercession and it doesn't stop here either later on in the chapter he says to God um, you know blot me out of your book of life um, which reminds me of Judah and Joseph you know take me in their place uh, which is an incredible uh, picture of intercession as I say Um, but in intercession he mentions two things he he says you know what about your reputation to the nations and what about your promises to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and God responded to that intercession and uh, this says in verse 14 the Lord relented that doesn't mean that there would be no consequences so God's not going to just wipe them all out but that does not mean there will not be consequences uh, so Moses, I mean, he, he still doesn't know, right? I mean, he knows, but he doesn't, he hasn't seen it, right? But he, he, he connects with Joshua, who he has, uh, who has, he has with him there, and where they, uh, and they uh, uh, together, they, you know, they scurry down that mountain as fast as his 80-year-old legs would take him. And uh, he's got these tablets of stone. I can only imagine how much they weighed. And uh, the whole thing must have been an immense burden and trial for Moses. Uh, Partway down, they hear a a noise coming from the the camp. And uh, Joshua says, look, Moses, um, you know, I I hear the sound of war in the camp. And Moses says, son, that's not war that you hear. That's singing. And uh, verse 18. And then the text goes on to say that when they got to the camp, And they saw the calf and the people dancing around. Moses got so angry that he threw those stone tables to the ground. And they broke in pieces there at the foot of Mount Sinai. That's what it says. You read it in verse 19. Now the symbolism of that is is hard to escape, right? Those broken commandments... At the foot of the mountain of Revelation. So Moses confronts Aaron, and Aaron blames the people. And he comes up with this cock and bull story that basically says, I threw the jewelry into the fire, and out came this calf. Verse, tw- verse 24. You know how you know, people get desperate, they come up with desperate things, right? And that was pretty, pretty desperate. What follows at this point is uh, is a, 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 a bit of narrative that, that has troubled me every time I've read it, honestly. Uh, verses 25 to 29 of Exodus 32 says, And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, and that day, about three thousand men of the people fell. And Moses said, "Today, you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Each of you, at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day." I said to Andy this morning, "I said, you want to preach this message? I want to preach this passage. It's um, it's a. This is one of those passages we we nice." Um, we quaintly refer to as difficult passages. The Bible has difficult passages in them. In it. Some of you may not realize that the Bible has difficult passages in it because when you get to these passages, you just kind of skip over them. Or you go, oh, I, I can't handle that. Um, I, I don't understand and I just, I'm just not going to think about it. Well, we're going to think about it uh, today in the time we have remaining, which is not a lot, but we're going to try to make a a few uh, observations here. Um, The Who is on the Lord's side was the call that went out, and that's literally, literally in Hebrew, who is for Yahweh? The implication, one of the implications is to be for Yahweh is to be for Yahweh alone. The latter prophets uh, will pick up Um, and make the point over and over again that there are no gods beside him. He doesn't share his glory with another. It can't be Yahweh and anything else. If you're going to worship God, you have to worship God alone. And that means that not only does that exclude other gods, but that excludes people too. That there is not a relationship on this earth that should take precedence Over your relationship with God. Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 says. You shall have no other gods before me. And that phrase before me. Can also be translated beside me. And then he goes on to say. For I am a jealous God. And that would imply that God requires a singular devotion. A singular devotion devotion now just stay with me here when you come into the new testament and you uh we come in the early parts of the gospel accounts we have jesus in the wilderness if you want to understand the scripture about jesus in the wilderness you need to pay close attention to the material that we are going through right now because this material the Last half of the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy, Chronicle, the Israel's time forty years in the wilderness, where they were, as the scripture says, tempted, and they failed. Jesus did not fail, but when you read through his temptations, uh, that he the temptation he faced, it's and his responses. All three of Jesus' responses come from the wilderness wandering texts of of Deuteronomy. Uh, In Luke chapter 4, it says that Satan took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory if you will, what? Worship me. And Jesus responded quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 13, it is written you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. There is a singular devotion required in our worship of God. <coughs> I have to to tell you, if you don't know, but I'm sure that many of you do know, that in the weeks and months ahead, we're going to be reading many passages that tell the story of people being killed as a righteous act of God, commanded by God and sanctioned by him. As I said earlier, we call them difficult passages. This one here is not the first one. Uh, I would say that the flood is the first of this type of difficult passage where we have God basically uh, condemning the entire population of the earth. And you may or may recall, may not recall that when we were there, if you were here... Uh, back in the fall when we talked about that, I I, I said to, to, to you then that the Bible doesn't waste any time in, in avoiding the subject of judgment. That the subject of sin and the fall in Genesis 3, where it's recorded in Genesis 3, is followed quite readily by the, the, the murder of uh, Abel. And quite shortly after that, with God saying, you know what? I'm taking them all out because the thoughts and intents of their hearts are just only evil continually and I, and I regret even have made them and here though we have a a, a couple of things that really make this passage uh, difficult uh, uh, one thing that makes this passage here difficult I, I think you, you will agree with me is that uh, we have now uh, a situation where it's it's not You know, God deciding whether to take somebody out or not take somebody out, now he's using people to exercise judgment. Um, The other thing about this passage that makes it difficult, I'm sure you'll agree, is that it references family and friends and neighbors. And it's not a picture we like to associate with the God of love. So I'm going to try to offer you a couple of thoughts. My This clock here says 12 clock. Is that right? <coughs> is that right, 12? Okay. And I'm pretty sure I got started early today, but um, I don't want to gloss over this. I don't, I, and I don't want to just, um, you know, leave you just kind of. Without taking a serious, you know, um, some serious effort here, uh, I pointed a couple of things. Uh, w- one, I think it's important for us to understand. I, I referred earlier to that statement where it says, "And the people all with one voice responded." And I think it's important for us to understand that that these, this, these, the laws, this, this point in Israel history, this was a covenant that God had made with mm-hmm. the people as a whole, that the covenant that God made with them was a collective covenant, that they had a collective identity and a collective responsibility, and therefore they had a collective culpability. They were responsible for the law. God had made a covenant with Israel, and they stood and said, all the Lord commands, we will do. And that responsibility... Not just include didn't just include the responsibility to obey. It included the responsibility to carry out the justice of the laws. Because remember, God is establishing a nation here. Now we live in in the nation of Canada, so we have laws too, and and you would be uh, quick to point out and right to point out that we have policemen, and we have courts, and we have judges. Uh, and we have uh, politicians who are responsible to create legislation. Um, but what if, what if we are the government? What if the government is actually put in place to represent us? what if the responsibilities of citizenship in a nation, a sovereign nation, include those citizenship responsibilities and that they just aren't just laws, but there are laws? Do do you realize that when somebody gets in a vehicle after consuming alcohol, drugs or alcohols and drives down the road and, 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 and gets in an accident like happened here in Lower Sackville last weekend and they take him and pull him into the courts and 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 prosecute him according to the laws of the land and then and then punish him accordingly. Do you realize that you and I bear responsibility for that? We do. And The laws aren't just for some of us, right? They're for all of us. And they're the same for all of us. And no one is above the law, right? Now, what if, what if the law made idolatry illegal? And what if the punishment for idolatry was death? We would, That's correct, yeah. One of the things I think we need to understand is that these laws were not just religious laws. This is an entire legal and judicial system for the national uh, state of Israel, which was a theocracy in the Old Testament, with God at the head. And the law of God said, no idolatry. And the punishment for idolatry is death it, that's not the, the death penalty wasn't just for idolatry in under the law, the Mosaic law the, the penalty for, uh, for uh, if you uh, uh, hit your parents you were to be stoned to death in fact it says uh, th- that uh, all the people were to participate in that stoning just like it says, all the people answered together and said, "All that the Lord has spoken, we will do." That's Exodus twenty nineteen verse, verse eight. And so, this is a covenant. This is a covenant ceremony. Moses repeated reported, It says there in uh, Exodus uh, nineteen verse eight that Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Think about that for a minute. Did did God not hear them? Did God not? Did God not? Was not God not there? Of course, God was there, and of course, He knew. And He co- so why does it say Moses reported the words? because this isn't a, this is a ceremony. This is a covenant ceremony. This is like a whole entire nation being being established before before our eyes here. And you know, if you uh, if you uh, relate it to something like say uh, a marriage ceremony or a citizenship ceremony, if you will, but it's a whole entire nation saying. We will abide by these laws. And what does the law say? The law says that idolatry is punishable by death. So what what are you going to do? What are you going to do now? Like, I mean, the people have broken the commandment, the most important commandment, the commandments of which we say all the other commandments flow out of, which is the commandment to love God and worship him alone. Um, so this is not some vigilante thing. This is not revenge. This is a mob rule. This is justice. And we uh, might want to take issue with it, but at least we first we need to understand it for what it is. Because if you want to understand the Bible, uh, you know, you can't just dismiss these passages. Some of us want to just dismiss the Bible without understanding the Bible. And some of us want to accept the Bible without understanding the Bible. And that might sound like a spiritual thing to do. You know, I don't actually need to study the Bible because I find it too hard anyway. I'm just willing to accept it all by faith. That might sound spiritual, but it's, it's not, because it's an immature faith. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. It is good to accept uh, uh, things that are in the Word of God, even when we can't fully understand them or figure them out. But, but listen, God has gone to great length to give us His Word, and He's gone great length to great length to help us understand His Word. Because we need to understand His Word. Because God reveals Himself in His Word. And God is revealing himself in this passage right here we're talking about. We need to understand that. We need to wrestle with that. Uh, Idolatry was the mother of all sins in the Old Testament. You know, if these people had committed murder, we probably would feel differently about it. You know, you take somebody's life, you should forfeit your life. Well, that kind of makes sense to us. Because we kind of think, you know, that murder is like, it's got to be the worst thing you can commit, right? Murder? Not according to God. In fact, the Old Testament scriptures, the the, the Mosaic law, uh, in prior to to the Mosaic law even, um the laws prohibiting murder were based on the fact that man was created in the image of God and that to murder somebody was an offense to God, first and foremost. That's, that's why when David sinned against God, uh, when David uh, sinned with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed, David said to the Lord, and you can read it in Psalm 51, if you're going to read the Psalms and you're going to appreciate the Psalms, appreciate this, against you and you only have I sinned God. How do you interpret that? How can that be true? It's because we have to understand that all sin is ultimately, first and foremost, a sin against God. And we think that murder and, and, and rape and, and things like that are like the worst sins that you could possibly commit. And the reason for that is that we think that way is because we do not understand idolatry. We do not understand the commandments. We don't understand that we, we think that offending people is the worst thing in the world, but we're pretty easy when it comes to offending God. That's not such a big deal for us. And if we're going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it means to be forgiven and it means to be saved, we have to grapple with the reality of what it means to be condemned. And if we don't understand these laws for what they really say and what they really are and what they, and what they really meant, we don't have the, the foundation coming into the, 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 the good news of Jesus that, that, that we, we're not all dead because we are idolatrous, because Jesus paid for the price for our sin by shedding his blood on that cross. The death penalty was, was part of the law. And it seems extreme to us, but the reason it seems extreme to us is because we minimize sin. We often say, the Bible says, that the penalty for sin is death. But we don't stop and think about what that really means. Because we don't understand what it really means to sin against God and to offend Him the way that, um, that we tend to do There's um, there's uh, there's a lot that I probably should say that I I won't say today because I I um, sometimes I'm inept when it comes to expounding some of these things the way they should be expounded, but. Just bear with me for another moment or two, if you would. Leviticus 24, verse 16 says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be, surely be put to death. All the congregations shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Jesus was accused of blasphemy. They tried to stone him. More than once. He told his followers, you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. And the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. When Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was stoned, it says in Acts 7, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. We need the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. We don't really know what's really going on any kind of depth in the New Testament until we've really wrestled through these passages and some of them are very, very difficult. Jesus also said this. He said, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Why? Think about it. I uh, I think that A lot of times, our inability to understand uh, the Bible the way we uh, should understand the Bible, I think sometimes it's because we don't understand sin the way we should understand sin. We kind of give lip service to it, but we don't really understand what it means to offend God. And I think that that hampers our ability to be able to understand the gospel. I really do. I think we treat sin lightly and therefore we treat the gospel lightly. say, oh God, I'm so thankful that you you gave your son and Jesus that you laid down your life for me so that I can be forgiven. How thankful are we if we don't understand what it really means to be condemned by our sin? I don't profess to try to, to, I don't profess to understand stand all of this stuff in any way perfectly and, and I don't want to say that this is not a difficult passage and there's many difficult passages in scripture but I, but I believe they're there for a reason I believe that God is wants to say something to us he wants us to understand something even when that un- something is very horrible because sin is horrible and we think death is like the worst thing that can happen. uh. Uh-uh. just like murder is not the worst sin. Death is not the worst punishment. And God has gone to great length to explain these things to us. And you, you might want to take the option of saying you know I, I um, I'm just going to take it by faith. I'm not going to dig through all those difficult passages. They're too hard. Okay. Well, What do you say to the person sitting beside you who does almost the same thing only what they say is I'm not going to dig into that because it's obviously an inconsistency. You say you talk about a God of love. What's that got to do with a God of love? I, I reject the Bible. How are you going to help that person when they ask you the tough questions? If you haven't studied it out and thought it out for yourself. I believe that there are answers to these questions. Hopefully. Hopefully it does. Um, uh, it's, uh, we're definitely out of time. What time is it? 12, 17. Let's, uh, let's stand for prayer if you would. I am thankful for Jesus and I am thankful that he died on that cross and shed his blood and gave his life for the forgiveness of my sins. I need to be more thankful because I need to understand it more. I need to understand what he did and why he did it. When he prayed in that garden and said, Father, if there is any other way, then let this cup pass from me. I don't want to drink it. If you are here today and you have not received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are under the condemnation of your sin and you will die someday. And when you die, you will stand before a holy God. And you will stand there all alone without a Savior. And it doesn't need to be that way. You can have Jesus... Beside you. Saying. This is one of mine. I paid for their sin. I paid for it all. Every stinking bit of it. I took it all on myself. I bore the full wrath of a holy God. On my in the, on that cross for them. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him as your Savior? The Savior who took your place. Lord, I thank you for these people this morning and for their incredible patience as they've sat and listened and thought and and read your word I just pray Lord that you would bless us with conviction that you would bless us with a conviction of the Holy Spirit as you convict us of our sin and of our need and as you convince us that Jesus lives and that he died for our sins and he rose again and that he is a savior, and he is the only savior. That there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I pray that you would convict and you would convince and I pray, Lord, that you would just do a a, a tremendous work of revelation and knowledge of yourself in this in this church family, in Jesus' name, amen.